Hello, my name is Kevin Murphy, and this is the Thriving After Surviving podcast, which you can hear on thrivingaftersurviving.com. Once again, I would like to thank those folks who have contributed to the Phyllis Foundation, which is making this podcast um, go and continue to go and hopefully can spread this nationwide. The Phyllis Foundation is at P.O. Box 560, Union, Kentucky, 41091. If you would like to uh, contribute to that foundation to keep this alive and so that we can advertise and broadcast it, it would be greatly appreciated. Once again, I am with the great people from Learning Empowered in Largo, Florida, formerly known as UMCM Seacoast. In a previous podcast, uh, I told you that they help children and families rise above adversity flourish in their communities, and find a place called home. The fact is, they do a lot of things for families and um, at-risk children. And we covered a lot of it in the last podcast. But this one is the aspect of this wonderful place that needs to be discussed. And it's difficult to discuss, but we're going to do so on this podcast, because the podcast is called Thriving After Surviving. And there's many different types of family traumas and things that can happen to a human being that unless you learn how to deal with it, unless you learn how to cope, unless you learn what to do about it, you're going to suffer continuously, uh, whether it's physically or emotionally, carrying around a sack of potatoes with you for the rest of your life until you learn how to deal with the scars. And these are tough topics to talk about because on the listening end, you might find that this hits home. But in actuality, if it does, uh, then I hope this helps you because there is help. So we're going to talk to these wonderful people about trauma to families and children in this community and what they're doing about it because they're doing a lot about it. Once again, I have Dr. Christina Lombardi Davis with me, who is the Director of Early Learning Programs at this wonderful organization, and I have Andrea Lipka, the Director of Integrated Learning. So let's grapple with this difficult, difficult topic of trauma. Mm -hmm. Trauma to uh, families, trauma to the parents that you deal with, and then let's focus on trauma to the children and how you, how you deal with it and what kind of tools that you can provide to them. So, uh, doctor, tell me, would you like to start with the parents first? Sure. Um, I would like to first kind of give a, a, a broad definition of what trauma is, what some of the causes may be. Trauma is considered to be negative or adverse experiences that one lives. Typically, when someone is suffering from traumas, these ex negative experiences are recurring. Could be the same experience 
numerous times, or it could be different types of experiences that have added up over time. Key is that they're adverse, negative, that will do harm. Trauma is so broad, causes of trauma can be domestic violence, homelessness, poverty, food insecurity, um, drug addiction, alcoholism, or recovering from either one or both of those, incarceration, um, homelessness, I don't know if I said that. I mean, it, and it's very personalized. So each person, is, their experiences are different. Um, what we try to do at our centers, our families coming in have experienced some sort of trauma. So we try to lessen the effects. Some effects of trauma may be we see first in the children, or easier to detect in children, I should say. They could be behavior challenges. Child may be running around in circles, may throw furniture, may be yelling and screaming, may not want to come into the classroom. So just behavior challenges. They will can also suffer developmentally. So research has shown that a child who has experienced trauma is half of their physical age, typically. So if a child is five, they're performing at a two-and-a-half-year-old level, for the most part. Cognitively? Cognit everything. Emotionally? Emotionally. It may vary, depending on the, the amount of resilience of the child and the family. But for the most part, pretty much an average, law of averages, is they are performing on half of what they actually are. So it's really impo important that we do teach resilience. We teach resilience by social and emotional development, uh, you know, teaching them to label their emotions. It's okay to feel this way. Because in early childhood, they're not going to understand why they're feeling what they feel. But it's okay to feel that way. This is what you can do. So we do a lot of positive behavior supports. Believe it or not, breathing techniques. It's okay. Stop. Take a breath. What are you trying to say? Or oftentimes modeling for them those words because they may not even have the words to tell us at that point. So with the families as well, they've experienced a lot of trauma, recurring trauma. We try to give them love and security and safety to be able to go beyond where they're at. A lot of them are in survival mode. So we want to give them the love and security to see, you know what, there, there is a, you do have a purpose. There are things you can do. There are people out there that you can talk to. Um, most of our families are in survival mode. So it's how do I pay my rent or how am I going to live in my car? How am I so let me interrupt you real quick. Um, when you say that someone who's subject to abuse uh, as a child, they'll have, you know, they'll be at half the number mm -hmm. intellectually and emotionally. Is that a some type of coping mechanism uh, or is it just uh, so intense that they can't uh, focus on the good things so trauma affects children and adults differently so children reoccurring trauma can affect your brain development your cognitive development your social emotional development it can affect your physical and your growth development as well depending on what the traumas may be 
um, if a child, a young child, goes without supports, could be physical therapy, speech, mental health support, the long-term effects of trauma will continue throughout their school experiences. Um, and research has shown traditionally they still fall behind and they don't miss, hit those milestones they should be hitting. So your percentages of dropout rate, rates increase, um, academic success decreases, teenage pregnancy increases, um, incarceration increases. Uh, it also may lead to physical health as an adult. So diabetes, heart disease, they, they're saying some cancers. Well, I don't know. We haven't really seen the proof on that yet. Um, again, drug addiction, alcoholism, not being able to hold down a job. So it's really important that with trauma, we target the children early. And then hopefully as adults, their trajectory will be better. And the importance of your work is is uh, exponential when you consider that schools can't really cope with this. Am I right? That is true. When we see behavior issues that are challenging, it's difficult for teachers and that in turn, the teachers will get what we call secondary trauma or compassion fatigue because they're living it every day and they're seeing the traumas that the families are going through. That may cause burnout. That could be, or it is a part of our big turnover rate um, with traumatized children. You know, some elementary schools do have some training. Um, at the college level right now, there are very few courses on trauma specifically. It focuses on special ed and those special components, not on trauma. You may get some local trainings, but nothing really content-focused. So what kind of help can you give to these children that come in? I guess we'll start with the children. Mm -hmm. Um, you know that they've got something going on at home. Isn't one of the first goals that you must do is get them to talk about it? I think that early on they may not be able to talk about it. So we do a lot of things through play, again, and modeling language. Um, whether it's basically just modeling language and when you see behaviors or frustration it's okay just keep saying it's okay to feel this way it's great it's okay to be angry you may not throw furniture throw toys hit somebody instead let's do this and so we try to give them alternatives of what they can do um, I think it's it's also important that while we're giving them those positive behavior we call them positive behavior supports this is what you can do. You can breathe. You can walk away. Um, if they need the physical exertion, there's Play-Doh. There's little hammers and golf tees and lots of different things we can utilize in the classroom. Um, while we're focusing on that, we still also need to focus on the adults. Because while we're giving the children love and security, the adults also need love and security and education as well to try to overcome some of those things. So their children can be successful. They also need supports. So let me take that to the next step. You're dealing with these children one-on-one -on -one with these trauma-related maladies, but they're showing you the symptoms. Mm -hmm. 
the disease is what's going on at home. For the most part. So how do you take that leap to try to educate the parents mm -hmm. that what you're doing is harming the child without sending them out saying, to hell with you? Right. You need to first build relationships with everyone. Build the trust, the safety, the love we had talked about before because they're not going to give you anything without building that foundational trust. And then it just depends on the relationship you have. And it de you need to know your audience, so to speak. There are some that you're going to walk up to and say, hey, this is what your child said or this is what your child's doing. You know, what's going on? What can we do to be of support? Some are going to not tell you and say, nothing's going on. Everything's fine at home. I don't know why my child's doing what they're doing. Others will sit down with you and be honest and say, yes, you're right. This is what's going on. This is why I need help. Can you help me? And at that point, we can say, sure, let's talk about this. What can we do to help your child first? Usually if you help the child first, then the family is a little bit more open to you helping them as well. This is another way of you helping your child succeed. So what can we do? And how long will you stay with that? child until you see that things are improving well we serve children from eight weeks old to five years old at our at our early childhood centers so depending on when they come to us if we have them at eight weeks they'll be with us through their five years old which is great because you know, there is a lot we can do for both the children and the families um, there is a lot we can, you know, if they come to us at two and three, there's still stuff we can do, give them supports. The earlier we can get supports for the family, the better the outcomes typically are. Um, so yeah, they can, they can stay with us. And then even some after they've graduated still come back for advice or to say, hey, this is what's going on or do you know something and we do it. Now, there are some times where their children may need those services that we just cannot provide um, and depending you know if it's developmental um, you know in florida or in pinellas county we have some screening tools through the public schools that at three they can go through a screening and if they find the developmentally is re you know if it is half of their age um, they can qualify for some services through the public schools so then we recommend we have to have that conversation for the better of your child, there are some great services that through the public school that can give them almost the one-on-one -on -one they need or the smaller classrooms. Um, so depending, you know, we sometimes we do have to support, get supports that are outside of the house, so to speak. And Andrea, uh, what's your role in this? I understand that you are active in this arena when it comes to uh, the Hispanic community. Yeah, so uh, many of the students in our ESOL and citizenship classes are tend to be um, from between 20 and 60 year olds. Majority of them tend to be women. So um, Hispanic women and also other immigrants tend to isolate themselves. So they primarily have relationships within their own communities. Um, so learning uh, English 
or even learning literacy skills becomes very challenging if you don't have exposure to the um, uh, English-speaking population. So that's one challenge. Uh, another challenge is something that I think it's cultural. Um, in some cultures, uh, typically uh, women might be working at home, dealing with childcare, and the male goes out to work. So as I mentioned, women uh, in this situation tend to be socially isolated, which could lead to depression, sleeplessness, and their inability to learn the language. Um, in, I also found out, I'm, I'm learning as we go along with uh, the classes, I'm observing them and then I, I read uh, research that many of them, uh, they are telling me that many of them want to continue their studies, but they might not have a car or again, if you don't speak the language, uh, then you are not gonna get to continue your studies or even getting a job. So again, I feel that some of our students, adult learners also would need the help of a counselor uh, even psychiatrist, I feel that we are lacking in this area. So um, I would love to have some kind of resources to help our adult learners. What would you say to somebody in this community, Tampa, Sarasota, Largo, St. Pete, Clearwater, and anybody else actually that's, that's listening to, the, to this from afar? Um, what would you say to a person listening that, that is undergoing trauma at home? There's a problem at home, they want help, but they're frightened. Uh, I'll throw this out to the both of you. What encouragement would you uh, give them to do so? I would say, if someone's listening and is experiencing some that we've talked about today. It depends on where they feel safe. Talk to someone you feel safe with or someone that you love and that you can trust. Um, and it, sometimes that's the hardest thing for us to do is be completely open and honest, especially if we're experiencing something that we think is taboo, so to speak. I think it's finding that person you can trust and talking with them and say, I need to make a plan. I need help. I don't know where to go. I think sometimes by having that go-to person or at least another person that you can, number one, get it off your chest and get it out there to the universe. Number two, then you can make a plan. Um, unless you're that person that knows everything about your community and knows, okay, well, I know that this is a great therapist. This is a great doctor. This is, a lot of people don't. Um, I think it's just a matter of getting that go-to person that they can go to. Um, worst case scenario, and if they feel comfortable, I always ask my doctor. I feel 100% confident in my primary care person. So a few times when I've had issues, I've said, okay, I'm feeling this. Is it normal? Where can I go? And they're a good source of resources. One of the things that I've learned uh, I had a lawsuit against a major university on behalf of a brilliant, off-the-charts brilliant African-American 
freshman student who was raped the very first week she was on campus. And at the time when I met her, I learned later that she was suicidal. She told me that. And she left my office the first day, again telling me this down the road, that she knew I believed her. And how important that was because she claimed that the people at the university, there were many that, that doubted her. The importance of especially uh, a woman traumatized either through domestic violence or sexual violence, uh, to be able to know that you're, you're being believed and that there's help available if you just find the courage to speak about it. Absolutely. And has that been your experience? Can you tell people who might be listening who have suffered from this, whether uh, the act was a day ago, a year ago, or 25 years ago, give us a couple of your success stories. Because I, I, in my experience with my case, when the case was over, she went public. She was Jane Doe in the lawsuit, mm -hmm. but she went public, and she let the world know who she was. Mm -hmm. And as a result, women came out of the woodwork in various different universities around our community and high schools, finding their courage from her. And we just saw that with the Harvey Weinstein. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes one, and once one comes uh, and speaks about it and has the courage, watch what happens. Can you give us some of your success stories, because I know you have so many, to encourage people uh, listening that there is a light and you can find it? Well, I don't have necessarily those types of success stories, um, but what we have been doing in some of our classes is use um, storytelling. So once once the teacher develops a strong bond with the students, um, they start telling stories and creating these digital stories. Sometimes they create the stories to share with their families. Sometimes they would post the stories on YouTube. Um, but it leads to a kind of, I guess, catharsis, so they feel that they finally have a chance to talk over their, their issues, their traumas, and find their own solutions. Granted, this, these are not necessarily lawsuits that are, we are winning, but if it puts people on the path to, I guess, um, make peace with themselves, for me, it is still a win because it means instead of going back to the same turmoil, they hopefully can have a, a better life. So that's really what we have been doing. So narrative, digital storytelling, uh, we have been using with adult learners. Right, you create a sense of, you try to create peace with them, yes? Mm -hmm. Yes. I have one story that I like to share. It's about really empowerment. It's an empower. You, you hate to call people who suffered trauma victims, but in a sense, they are. 
I had, there was a, a mom that we worked with. She was going home from one of our family events because we like to do family events to kind of model family time. And she was going home with her at the time. I believe the baby was maybe just turned one or a little bit under. And the boyfriend, uh, the father. On the way home in the car, he beat the stuffing out of her. They got into an argument over something. She came in um, shortly. I don't remember now if it was the next day or the weekend after. And um, we spoke with her because she you know, had sunglasses on. And she looked, she had some bruising on her face. So we talked with her. And she had reported it, number one, um, when she had gotten home because she had lived with her mom. So that was a plus. But I think us seeing her, she was, and she trusted us, so she was able to tell us what happened. This is what happened. He's gone to jail. Um, I need to get away from this. How do I do it? I said, well, you reported it. Did they tell you the next steps and what you need to do? Getting, you know, the restraining order going on. So she did that. Um, at the time, she was not working. She was taking a few management classes here or there. So after all the court stuff was done and she had seen some counselors and worked with her her child's teachers this mom continued to take classes um, went from not working taking more classes to become being a manager at a retail store with a great jump in salary obviously um, and now she is advocating for other families at our centers giving them the strength to also she's now become a wealth of knowledge of supports locally for other moms or dads, whoever may need them. So she speaks out and she helps whoever needs us and she says it's a school family. If someone needs something, I'm there, just we'll help. Um, so she's, she was so down and you could see by her face in the very beginning how, how beaten, not literally beaten up, but emotionally. She was very depressed and inward. And then as she started going through her process with us and as we were taking care of her baby, she knew her baby was safe. She just blossomed. So, And trauma, uh, whether it be parents or oh. children, um, terribly affects one's self-esteem. Absolutely. And when the self-esteem is low, the uh, chances of depression increase, yes? Yes. And when that occurs, that if it happens in an adult, it wears off on the child, yes? Mm -hmm. And these are the types of issues that you uh, try to identify uh, when you're having your classes and, and you're trying to help not only the, the parents, but the, you know, the children yes, as well, absolutely. yes? And it's like what we talked about in the previous podcast. If we can fix this at an early age, it sets the child on a bright road as opposed to uh, being told by his peers or her peers that you're dumb or you're stupid because they've had this trauma at home and they've been set back years, you know, uh, educationally and emotionally, yes? Yes. Do you agree, or I, I, it's a big bugaboo for me, uh, mental health in this country is woefully inadequate and we need to tackle this uh, and you and your organization has the courage to do so. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to attack it at a young age. Absolutely. Um, because if it continues over the course 
of time, tell me if I'm wrong, the, the, it can be reversed, but it takes far more work. Am I right? It's a harder struggle the older they get. So yes. I didn't ask this previously. Uh, I know that you start taking children at eight weeks. Uh, what is the, uh, is there a cutoff? We go up through VPK, which is five-year-olds. Five-year-olds. So they'll graduate from us at five. And if you see that um, a child is benefiting but reaches that age of six, uh, is, there, uh, is there continued help? Absolutely. We, um, we actually have a lot of community partners that start with us day one from when they're infants. Um, so they also help with the education process. Um, we're par partners not only with the home visitors, but we are partners with um, CASA, which is a domestic violence shelter. Um, we are partners with um, Suncoast Centers, which focus on mental health, Directions for Living, which is mental health. Uh, we have part we endless partners through many, many different agencies. Um, I'm trying to think who other partners we have. We're partners with Fiddlers, like I said, who is Public School for Developmental. Um, Head Start. Head Start we're partners with, the JWB, which is, um, helps us as well. So we have so many different partners that focus on so many different areas, so mental health, developmental health, um, you know, that kind of thing. So let me brag on you a little bit, please, some, some more. <laughs> Um, one of your centers had a 98% score yes. on kindergarten readiness. Yes, the school readiness. Talk to me about that. Which is amazing. <laughs> Tell me about that. So when kindergartners go in to kindergarten, within the first 30 days of school, they're assessed for their knowledge, literacy and mathematical knowledge, what they have learned in what we call VPK. The downside of that is there's no trust with the teacher. Oftentimes it's on a computer or a laptop where the children have no experience. So, and a lot of times we have English as a second language and the assessment is in English. So in the state, I believe the percentage, overall percentage for passing this exam is only 50 to 60%. Pinellas County is a slightly hair above that. So for one of our centers to receive a 98, that's amazing. That is a tribute to what you do. That is a tribute uh, big time because think about this folks, 98% on this kindergarten readiness case when they're taking at-risk families mm -hmm. and at-risk children. Those children uh, if you like baseball, and we as men are always told not to use sports analogies, but if you know anything about baseball, if you go into a batter's box and the count is already no balls and two strikes against you, your chance of getting a base hit is about one in ten. Uh, they're tackling these types of uh, families who need help, taking them in and turning these children into I mean, if they pass 98%, they're on the road to scholarship. Absolutely. If they're on the road to not being students, they're on the road to being scholars. And that's, uh, that's wonderful. They're actually performing higher than uh, non-risk 
uh, children because of what's being done uh, right here at Learning Empowerment. So these are tough issues that you deal with. Um, how do you cope? Uh, <laughs> I'm curious about this. How do you cope when you know when you go home when you uh, when you see a child that you, you know you can't help but be attached to? Uh, I can already tell that mm -hmm. the two of you how much you care. How do you cope? There is a lot to be said about self self help or self care, I guess. Um, you know the. And secondary trauma, compassion fatigue, is very real, especially in this field, and we do feel it. There's, in the past, I have also gone to see or talk to a therapist just so I can get things out there because when you have your own stuff on one side, your work stuff on the other, you're being pulled. I need to be as stable and as straight as I can be to be able to help everybody. So I need to unload, I need to get it off too. Um, I like to then do something for me and that's whether it's walking or swimming or reading or something to get my mind away from everything else um, I think that's a really important lesson that we all need to take is you know self-care and you folks who are listening that may be in your 20s 30s and 40s you have skill sets that could be very helpful to this organization so if you're in this community Tampa Largo St. Pete Clearwater, they need your help. Um, the more people we have uh, in this organization volunteering, uh, the more children they may be able to take on. Um, and I've said this before and I'll continue to say it until um, people tell me to stop. One of my favorite vignettes is Ralph Waldo Emerson's definition of success. And one of his definitions, of course, it's not about money, it's not about fame, it's not about power. Uh, the one I like the most is to, um, uh, to know that one life has breathed easier because you have lived. And another one is to earn the respect of children, okay. uh, which, of course, uh, you folks have been designated by what's called America's Poets as being <laughs> successful. But I would urge you folks who are um, 20s, 30s, and 40s to come in and help these children. Help them with your time, help them with your wallet, uh, and make a difference in a community because 98% approval rate means that every dollar that's coming in here is being wisely spent by an organization that is running on all cylinders. Um, and Imagine 98% on a kindergarten um, readiness exam that every child has to take uh, when they start out with a no, no balls, two strikes count. It, it's it's fast, fascinating. It's fantastic. So tell me the um, website, your website again. It is Learning Empowered. No, learning-empowered.com. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you can contribute there, learning-empowered.org. Yes. You can contribute, of course, to that uh, website. You can volunteer on that website. And let's uh, close with this. If you know someone in this community that you know is suffering, 
that you know are afraid uh, to speak out, uh, worried about retribution, whether it be from a violent or an alcoholic husband or um, some, somebody else, please encourage them to give this place a shot, to come in. Uh, they will recognize you immediately. They have dealt with people who have your problem. Every one of us who has problems think we're unique. Everyone thinks that no one's going to understand what the problem is and that you have to endure this pain. Uh, it's not true. It's just not true. So I'm going to conclude by saying um, it's been a privilege to be with you too, including the funny lady <laughs> on the last one, uh, which is she's so important. Cecilia, and um, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. This is Kevin Murphy. My podcast, of course, is Thriving After Surviving. And my website is thrivingaftersurviving.com. You can, of course, listen to these podcasts on my uh, website. If you'd like to suggest a topic... Uh, if you would like to uh, ask a question, you can do so through that website. And once again, I'm counting on uh, the generosity as well uh, of others to continue to um, buy advertising time so I can spread the word about these great organizations. And by doing so, you're helping people you don't even know. And my foundation is the Phyllis Foundation. It's Post Office Box 560, Union, Kentucky, 41091, or you can donate on the website. So until next time, thank you for listening.